0: go gone... on
1: Motherfuckers, welcome to another episode of the Low Life Motherfucking Chopper Podcast.
2: What is up, you low lifes? Welcome to your motherfucking Friday. We got a great episode tonight. We're going to teach you guys everything you need to know to get started with blacksmithing, courtesy of the homie Steel City Blacksmithing. But before we jump into that and a whole bunch of other tips and tricks. We're going to kick this one off the way we always do with those motherfucking sponsors.
1: (laughs) I was spacing out. (laughs) It's all good. First up, we got
2: Chicken Fried Choppers, the homie Chicken Rick, the go-to guy for all of your stickers, pins, patches, hoodies, and chopper goodies. He is also the home of the Low Life merch. So if you want to scoop yourself some of that, head on over to ChickenFriedChoppers.com. Com, or, excuse me, Chicken Fry Choppers on Instagram or chopshit.com. Next up, we got chopcult.com, the motherfucking hub in the home of your next build thread. So get on over there, make yourself an account, scroll through the decks and the Classifieds to find those parts you need, and let Lisa know that the Low Life Chopper Podcast sent you. Next up, we got Paco, 51 years in the game. These guys know a thing or two about Harleys, and they got all the custom parts that you need to make yours stand the fuck out. They got exhausts, handlebars, springers, transmission components. You know my favorite parts are all over at Paco.com. You can also find them at Paco Parts, all one word, on Instagram. Next up, we've got Horseshoe Customs LLC on Instagram. Sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. Horseshoe Customs LLC and Keebler Customs. There we go. Keebler with a K, K-I-E-B-L-E-R, Customs on Instagram. These guys do a little bit of everything. They do automotive fabrication, commercial fabrication, CNC plasma cutting, and 3D printing. These guys do everything so head on over to Keebler Customs and Horseshoe Customs LLC and let them know you heard about them on the lowlife motherfucking chopper podcast next up we got lowbrow customs everything you need for the road ahead since 2004 if you have a motorcycle you've heard of lowbrow customs they cater to everything the chopper guys the flat track guys the brat guys The Cafe Racers, they do it all. So lowbrowcustoms.com, also on Instagram, also on YouTube, by the same name. Tyler, who runs Lowbrow Customs, awesome dude. He's been on the show before. Go back and check out his episode, Milwaukee Murderer. We're looking to get him back on in the future, too, so stay tuned for that. But lowbrowcustoms.com, doing a bunch of cool shit. And then... We've also got, Locked Out, you can do this one better than anybody. We got, who is it that The
0: makes-
1: motherfucking homie Wes at Custom Destruction making the dopest motherfucking helmets in the game for the same price as a stock helmet. Get over to Custom Destruction on Instagram, order whatever kind of fucking helmet you want, whatever color, trim package, interior package, whatever the fuck you want. Get the only helmet that makes the ugliest motherfucker look sexy.
2: Love it. And then who do we got for this week's, or excuse me, this month's giveaway
1: sponsor? This month's giveaway sponsor. Listen, I know um, I've been saying this month was going to be the month of my pinstriping. But um, last week you guys got to watch a live uh, when we're at Stitch's Garage. That panel that he painted. Um, that's what we're going to give away this month. Um, go follow Rick Pierce. That's R-I-C-K underscore P-I-E-R-C-E. Follow Rick Pierce on Instagram uh, for a chance to win that pinstripe pen like he did live on last week's show.
2: And it is fucking fantastic looking. It's sitting right here in front of us. Dude is a real talented
1: artist. And and add, make sure you go. Uh, sorry, I'm gonna interrupt. Mm-hmm. Go ahead.
2: I'm just gonna say, this dude obviously, you got to watch him knock it out live on the show last week, and it's just amazing what that dude does with the pinstripe brush. This thing looks, this thing looks like it took somebody for, forever and a day, but this guy's just got the fucking, got the fucking skills to knock these He's things smart. out. We're stoked that it's something that you got, you guys got to watch get made, and now one of you is going to take it home. And if you want
1: to watch that live, that live's still on my page, right? I believe so, yeah. Um, Yeah, if you want to watch that live, go to Lock That Chop Shop. It's on there. You can see him painting it. Yeah, it is. Um, And make sure you go follow him when you hear this. Pause the motherfucking show, go follow Rick Pierce. And next week, we're doing that drawing. So make sure you do it this week. Don't forget.
2: Don't fuck it up, guys. Go over there and fucking follow them. All right. So I think it's time to roll into those motherfucking shoutouts. What do you got this week on the shoutouts section? <laughs>
1: Uh, well, give me one second here.
0: One.
2: I'll kick this one Go. off. Again. Shout out to Ryan, the homie behind Stay Gold Leather Goods. Whip me up a set of custom bedroll straps for the gigantically oversized wool blankets that I'm so fond of collecting. All the conventional blanket rolls are too small; they don't fit around these fucking monsters. <laughs> So I had him make me a 43-inch extended blanket roll. These things are basically the thickness of, like, a belt. It's like two fucking belts with the roller buckles and everything. Super nice set. He knocked that out for me this past week with the exact same leather. We even found the we found the leather that's on the straps from Filson that I got this bag from, and he got the exact same leather and the exact same color. Made the bedroll straps to match it. So... Super good dude. If you got a custom order, he does take custom orders. His Instagram is stay underscore gold underscore LG for leather goods. So support the local homie. And, yeah, buy a bag, buy a set of straps. Keep that man going.
1: Uh, Huge shout-out to the homie motherfucking Jerry coming in hot. Raffling off the 87 Chevy Caprice wagon. Um, Listen, if you are lacking pussy in your life, (laughs) this is going to help you step your game up. Um, Like I said, 87 Chevy Caprice wagon with a 309 under the hood. It's lifted with bigger tires on it. Uh, Only has 120,000 miles on it. $69 a spot. I think he said... If they get ten more, um what did you hold on, let me just scroll up. Uh there's twenty raffle spots left for the wagon. Um if he gets ten more spots by Saturday, he'll call it and fucking do the the drawing this Saturday. So get over to 812 Inc. on Instagram, buy yourself a spot and win this fucking pussy wagon.
2: Oh shit. It's going down over there. Love it. Let's see. Give me one second here. You got any others while I'm while i rifling through here? Um, uh, might be a light week for me this week.
1: Kind to look real quick. Cool. Uh, shout out to. Cam at Hipnic Jerk Customs uh finally just installed my rosebud tail lights today when I got out of work and god damn son they are so fucking dope and holy fuck are they bright you would not think that these two little lights would be so goddamn bright but they are ridiculous so huge shout out to Cam at Hipnic Jerk uh, I appreciate the hell out of you, homie.
2: Fuck yeah, dude! Those things are super bright, man. All his taillights are like fucking beacons.
1: I just sent you a couple pictures of it
2: too. Oh, perfect. Oh yeah, they just came through. Hang on, I gotta see what it looks like installed. But yeah, he really, dude. His I fucking love his stuff. And like you said, they're so much brighter than you'd think they'd you'd think they'd be when we wrote it's ridiculous. Everybody that day when we came over for deadbeat and it was pouring rain, everybody was like, dude, that taillight is so fucking bright. That's what it's all about. It's a light week for me, man. I don't think I got any other shout outs this week.
1: Uh, I also, I don't think I have much. i just been low key, like being low key and painting. That's it. I haven't really talked to too many people. Um. Shout-out to Born Garage. Uh, he bought one of the pieces that I did on a live feed this week. And shout-out to Jersey Devil. Uh, he also bought one off the live feed. And, God, there's one more fucking person, too, that bought one. Anyways, huge shout-out to everybody. It's been crazy. Um, so, for anybody that's missed it, on the Unicorn Ranch page, I've been going live every night that I've been painting. And it's just super cool to see, like, Familiar names chiming in, like guys that like right into the show are also getting tuned into that live and like talking like throughout the fucking while I'm panting and shit. It's super cool to see that guys are coming from the show and still supporting the shit that we're doing on the side.
2: Yeah, absolutely, man. That is what it's fucking all about. Yeah, I just took a second to look through. I don't think I got anything else this week. So do we get through all of uh all of your shout outs or you got anybody else? Yeah, I'm good. Good deal. All right, then let's uh with no further ado go ahead and roll into this week's interview. Everything you need to get started with blacksmithing with the homie, Steel City Blacksmith all right guys we are live on the phone with josh aka steel city blacksmithing welcome back to the show bud hey thanks
3: for having me man i appreciate it
2: of course dude we were just talking a little bit off air how this is the perfect time for you to be back on because there have been some developments over here at my place and we got a bunch of listeners that have been writing in about getting interested in blacksmithing so we figured Perfect time to have you back and talk about what it takes to get started with it.
3: Oh, yeah, that's awesome to hear people are interested in it and want to give it a go.
2: Absolutely, man. So I think the best place for us to get started with this is to go over what kind of tools somebody would need to be investing in in order to get started. So I feel like first place we can start is the Ford, and then we can move into like hand tools, hammers, things like that, and uh, and we can kind of run it from there.: Yeah, that sounds good. So what's the philosophy on how much people need? I just made a purchase on a Ford after talking to you for quite a while and probably blowing up your phone with way too many questions. But there's a lot of <laughs> options there: single burner, multi-burner building your own buying one that's available kind of walk us through the the thought process that you went through when you got your first one and then we'll talk about what you're using now
3: yeah um i my first one was a single burner it was the same one you got that single burner devil's forge uh round i think what 18 inches or long or so 14 inches maybe yeah i think it's somewhere around um, i picked that up I picked that up. Um it's just easy to get off eBay and that's a uh, great start. I mean, they're priced pretty pretty uh friendly, aren't they? 140 bucks or so.
2: Yeah, I think I paid 147 for the one that I picked up.
3: Yeah, so I mean, that that's a super capable forge.
2: And the um, fact that you had gotten it, too, made me feel a little more comfortable. Because
3: with, sometimes with things like this, you... They, they worry. make double and triple, and they make... Yeah. Um, I definitely think starting out, you only need one burner. I don't think uh, a double burner is uh, necessary, really, just to get your foot in the door. Um, I mean, if you could swing it, go for it. But uh, I think a single burner, you'll be happy. You'll be able to do pretty much anything you want to do with it.
2: I think that what sold me, because I was kind of in that boat of, well, maybe I'll spend more up front, and then I don't have to worry about replacing it down the road. But then when you mentioned that you run yours pretty frequently just with the one burner because of fuel consumption, that was something I had never thought of, of about the fact that if you are running two burners, you're using twice as much propane.
3: Yeah, yeah, you are. If I have both my burners on, I go through two tanks. I, I use two separate tanks and two separate regulators. Uh, I go through like your standard grill propane tank pretty quick if I got both rolling. So yeah, a single burner, it uh, it's definitely enough to get anybody going. And then there's the whole coal uh, forge aspect of it. But I don't know too much about that. But uh, if you're looking to get into it super cheap, uh, you could jump on YouTube and just Google how to build a coal forge. And there's uh, guys on there that'll walk you through it. But building a gas forge, I definitely suggest it. Uh, If you got the time and you got the welder and the material, you could build one for about the same price after you buy insulated fire brick. but it is time consuming. So if you if you want to get started like next week, yeah, you should probably just bite the bullet and buy one. But if you got some time to play with it, building one uh, is definitely a, a good experience building mine. I had fun with it.
2: Now, I think that the experience is definitely to be gained from doing that. I was surprised, most, probably most surprised, that I could not save a lot of money. By building it myself, because that was actually my idea was like, "Oh well, if I build it, I have a welder, then I could probably do it for like way less than it would cost to buy one, and that just does not seem to be the case. They just are so goddamn affordable pre made
3: yeah, yeah the uh the devil's forge i mean they you you can 't beat their prices, and when I built mine, I got uh insulated fire brick, I think I got uh two four six eight eight or 12 insulated fire brick and i think they're like 28 dollars a piece so i mean that adds up real quick um getting all the metal i mean you need a decent bit of metal so i mean it adds up pretty quick and i mean you can't can't compare or can't complain with uh devil's part prices i mean just jump or fight the bull and grab one you know
2: yeah, absolutely. And and just I feel like I will say I think the middle ground that I that I did happen to see on there is they sell and it's not much that you have to do but they sell like the body of the forge which I almost bought and then I would then like as it would allow you to weld the I don't know what you call it but the part where the propane gets plumbed in. Uh, you would weld that on yourself and you would lay the insulation in there yourself. Uh, but you'd have to buy that separately. And I almost did it just because a lot of the... Because I was like, I could weld that on. They're so much nicer than these other ones are welded on.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but then when I saw I had to buy the other stuff separate, I was like, okay, that's too much. And I am that impatient kind of person where I'm like, I'm trying to be doing this next week. So it made sense to to jump in. But like you said, if somebody really wanted to take the time to make their own you're talking steel fire brick are the all the fittings available if somebody was making their own like i think you had some t fittings on yours
3: uh yeah i got um you can get all the black iron pipe and the brass fittings and then you use just the mig uh tip I use a 035 MIG tip in my burners. Uh, I mean, you could get all that stuff at Lowe's. So it's all readily available. Um, There's really nothing like extreme fabrication to make it. You don't need any lays or mills. Um, Get a drill and tap uh, brass fitting to screw the MIG tip into. But that's about it. It's pretty much plug and play for the rest of it. Um, There's write-ups all over the internet. Uh, You can jump on forums or YouTube. But I actually found, uh, I wish I remembered his eBay handle. There's a guy on eBay that sells Venturi-style burners with all all the black iron pipe and the brass fittings and everything for like $25 shipped. And it would cost you more just in brass to build your own so i mean you can't be that i wish i remembered the guy's name but simple search on ebay for just uh propane forge burner i'm sure you'll find
2: yeah that's a good point because those are the kind of things that i feel like would otherwise sway somebody from trying to make their own is they're like well i don't know how to get all these fittings that i need and make sure that it fits on to the, the actual propane tank. And that's another thing. Most of these things do come with the regulator. I did notice that a lot of the fittings come with the regulator th- itself, which is kind of neat.
3: Yeah. On, uh, on one you buy, yeah, it comes with the regulator and the uh, hose, and it, it's pretty much hook up a tank and light it. Um, the, if you go uh, to build your own, and you buy a burner off uh, eBay or you build your own, it's, I'm pretty sure it's a 3A compression fitting. And then you can get uh, just a Forge regulator uh, pretty much anywhere on the internet, Amazon or simple Google search. And they'll thread right into it. You need uh, 1 to 30 psi per burner. So if you're running a dual burner setup off of one tank, They say you need 60. Um, I've never ran much more than 10 PSI or so per burner. So I don't know if you would ever go up to 60 PSI, but that's what they say. Um, They're pretty easy to find. They're pretty relatively cheap. I think 25 bucks or so. So I mean, not too bad.
2: So 30 versus 10, that's a pretty big difference, huh? What do you mean? As far as the the PSI that you're running when you have it on?
3: Oh, yeah. Um, I normally light mine and I crank it up. I'll normally run uh, 15 or 20 PSI um, until it's hot. And then I normally turn it down. I've, I've been anywhere from 7 to 10 or 12 max. So, I mean, you, you really don't need that much psi to have a really hot forge
2: that's good to know because uh, like how how quickly i know you mentioned you do use two separate bottles but if you're running seven psi are you cooking through a whole bottle in a night or is it something that takes multiple sessions to get through
3: um no i i'd probably say Uh, 10 or 12 hours to a tank. Um, that's a complete guess. I have ran the forge for eight hours non stop, and uh, it's honestly kind of miserable by then because I was in my shed and it only had a seven foot roof, so I mean, it was disgusting hot. But uh, eight hours, I didn't go ahead. You said that's saving money on the heat though. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It it would be great saving money on the heat, but uh, it was like spring and like seventy degrees out. So yeah, oh, it was it so good. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> um, but I've I've ran it for eight hours straight on one tank. I didn't burn all the way through it, so I'd actually uh, have to time it. So I'm not too sure, but I'd probably say at least ten hours.
2: Gotcha. Well, that's not so bad. And That's for the smaller tank. No
3: yeah yeah no it's not bad at all it doesn't eat through it but um i've I've found getting you know how all the gas stations do the exchange your tank thing yep they're actually only filled three quarter of the way so you actually get more for less if you go to your local welding supply shop the shop right down the street from my house that uh they sell all your welding gas, welding supplies, they fill propane tanks. They don't charge tax, and I think it's like fourteen bucks to fill a tank. So I mean it's cheap.
2: Yeah, I had heard about that with the swap outs at the gas station. I yeah,
3: they that was true or not. Yeah, they only film three quarters of the way, which I think is like a complete disgusting ripoff, but
2: they, Yeah, I agree with you. Luckily I do have um Loctite actually gave me a propane tank that is much larger than the standard one. So I have to fill it at the welding supply shop because it's not it's not a standard size that I could do at like Walmart or a gas station. Um but I had a second tank that I was gonna use as a backup, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I'll make sure I take that one over to um the welding supply shop and try not to get lazy and just take it to the gas station.
3: <laughs> yeah, I I used to live across the street from a gas station that would do the exchanges so it was real hard like I could walk down there and be home in 5 minutes or I could load it in the car and drive 10 minutes away to get it filled to save a couple bucks. So I've been there done that.
2: Oh, that's a tough one, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'd ever make it out to the welding supply shop at that rate.
3: Yeah, that that was at the old house. Now uh, we're pretty far away. And I mean, they had a uh, Chester's chicken there and it was some pretty good fried chicken. So yeah, they got a lot of money.
2: <laughs> That's it. They they know how to lure you in.
3: Yep. That's too funny, man. So. Yeah, but uh, a forge, I definitely suggest going propane because like we talked earlier, the uh, in the cool fire. And I mean, fire management is like a whole different animal so i definitely suggest if you want to try out forging uh getting a propane forge um it's definitely a lot a lot easier a lot less things to worry about so you could focus on the piece you're building and not keeping the fire at the right temperature overheating your metal or anything like that so
2: yeah i really do think that that's uh because that that's wisdom right there to not try to take and You alluded to the fact that we were talking a little bit off air before we started recording here about how we both kind of looked at the idea of a coal forge as like, oh, it's more, it's more simplistic. You know, there's less moving parts. But then in the end, after I watched a couple of videos of people using them, I came to that same conclusion of the fact that this is going to be a lot of work to just to get it consistent and mainly consistency was what drove me drove me away from it was it just seemed like people were so easily cooking the steel because it would get super hot super fast and then they fuck it up
3: exactly i'm i was actually thinking about that today uh since we've been talking about forging and your kids want to get into it and all that i feel like blacksmithing and forging and uh, knife making and all that i feel like you're going to know really quick uh, if you love it and you're going to get addicted like me and you're just going to want to take it to whatever level you could take it or you're going to absolutely hate it. Because, I mean, it is hard work. I, uh, I don't want to sugarcoat anything or make people think that it's going to be easy because, I mean, you're standing next to a, fern or a forge running 2,000 degrees and you're swinging a hammer beating on steel. So I mean it is work, but it it is truly a dick thing. You can do pretty much anything with steel that you could do with Play Doh.
2: Yeah. It it definitely seems like the kind of thing that much like when I tried boom for the first time last week <laughs> on the air, it, it just seems like there's gonna be a lot of nuance to the in how you move the metal, how you get it to do what you want to do. And I'm sure that it that there's going to be a steep learning curve when it comes to the
0: yeah actual- yeah yeah
3: and uh it, it definitely is a learning curve um like we talked i definitely suggest uh forging hooks they're a great way to forge a taper and tapers are everything once you figure out how to do a nice taper you could uh pretty much do a lot more than if you couldn't um Hooks are great, just coat hooks or S-hooks. That's a good scroll uh, skill to have, too. So, I mean, that's all there. But we kind of skipped over the hand tool part. Yeah, let's do the hand tool part, then the anvil part,
2: and then we'll get into how you use the two of them to do. We'll talk about, like, some basic things that people can practice making.
3: Yeah. Um, What kind of hand tool
2: did you start out with?
3: I honestly what did I get i I went to Lowe's or Home Depot and I got a mini sledge I think it was like a three pound mini sledge with a twelve inch hand or something and it I regretted buying that one hundred percent. You definitely want a longer handle um even if you choke up on it and you don't use all the handle uh it's good to have and yeah don't don't go that route. You're better off using like a two pound ball beam that you have in your toolbox. Um, I suggest getting a rounding hammer. If you do want to pursue it, um, you can Google it. Uh, one end is round and that helps to draw out metal because if you're just hitting it flat, it's just smushing it. But if you hit it with a round end, it's pushing the metal in all directions and, uh, You can find them from anywhere from 50 to, I mean, you could spend a lot of money on one if you wanted. Uh, They're great to have, but they're not necessary to start.
2: Gotcha. Okay. And how did you decide on, I know you said that the length is
3: important, but how did you also decide on the weight? Um. I think I read on some forums or something i I was reading somewhere, and i don't know i I got no shame in it. I swing a two pound hammer and i I was reading on a forum like people were swinging four and a half pounders and like i I swing a two pounder because I think you're only as good as your accuracy so I mean if you swing a four pound hammer yeah, you're gonna move a lot of metal very fast, but if you're missing blows, you're gonna damage your anvil or mess up your, the piece you're working on. So there, there's no shame in swinging a light hammer. Um, yeah, I think I have an 8 handle on mine, and I I choke up on it all the time. It's better to be accurate than to be a beast and swing a huge sledgehammer.
2: And I'm glad you mentioned damaging the anvil because, and I don't want to, we'll stick with the hand tools, but something I did want to ask if was true or not was I had in my research come across a four to one ratio, or excuse me, a 40 to one ratio where people were saying like, if you had a two pound hammer, say you'd want an 80 pound anvil. And if you had a three pound hammer, you'd want a 120 pound anvil. So as not to damage it, um, is there any truth to that?
3: I honestly couldn't tell you. I've I've honestly never heard that. And uh, if anybody's been in the market for an anvil, you kind of get what you can take if you're working with a budget. So I think <laughs> yeah,
2: my yeah <laughs> that definitely seems like what it how it actually plays out in
3: reality. Yeah, I I, I kind of just. I think my first anvil I picked up off Facebook Marketplace for like a hundred bucks, but it was swimming at the bottom of a pond for months, I swear. And it was junk, but I think it weighs 80 pounds. And my wife bought me a 100 pounder. And I mean, a, a heavier one would be better. It's all about being rigid because the less shock your anvil absorbs is the more shock that's going into the piece that you're working. So it's all about uh, being rigid, but I I work a lot of steel on my hundred pounder, and I mean I I can't complain at all.
2: Yeah, and I feel like if you're swinging a two pound hammer too, you're kind of you're pretty close to that ratio anyway. Yeah,
3: I guess it would be. Yeah, I'll have to uh, I'll have to look into that ratio. I've never heard that. That'd be uh, something neat to read about.
2: Yeah, I only heard it from one person on one forum, so it could very easily be Urban Legend, but uh figured I'd at least ask about it. So so you're working with a two-pound hammer, and it's an 18-inch, you said?
3: I believe that's how long it is. Uh, I don't think you can quote me on that, but it is a long handle. And, yeah. Uh, it, it's all about uh, what feels good, because like the uh, ceramic handles and all that, that they sell lows. Lowe's. Yeah, they're great and they look fancy, and you think you're getting more, but that uh, mini sledge I was telling you about, that thing was a nightmare to hold on to. And I mean, it'd fly out of your hand. The uh, one I have now, the rounding hammer, just has a basic wood handle and uh, it feels good anywhere you grab it. So that's kind of what you want to look for.
0: You prefer. So you're not yeah. limited.
2: What's that? I said do you prefer the wood handles then?
3: Uh yeah. Um I haven't seen a ceramic handle that uh, is just one diameter all the way down. Um I would try one to be honest with you, but when it has like the uh uh cutout for your hand at the end, uh it limits you because like I said, I I choke up on my handle or on my handle a lot. To the point where I'm only swinging maybe half of the full handle length. So if the cutout is at the bottom, you're limited to only holding it at the bottom. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the I can imagine the
2: using one where you have to hold your hand in only one spot.
3: Yeah. So that that's kind of why I've, um, I haven't swung any more ceramic handles. Um, I'd definitely give it a try if I could find the right one.
2: Yeah, I feel like wood is hard to beat, even for, for replaceability, too. If you break yep. it and you need to throw another one on. Yeah, that's that's thing. At a hardware store. I know fiberglass is popular. I feel the same way about Axis, quite honestly. I never really dabbled with anything that came with a fiberglass handle, mainly for that reason. Because if it breaks, it's like, well, where am I going to get a fiberglass handle? And how do I even... Put that on there.
3: Yep, and I have, um uh, I've used a couple heads off of uh the ceramic and the fiberglass handle ones, and they like glue and epoxy them things in. Told it, it was like literally to the point where I cut it off at the bottom of the head, and then I just throw it in the forge and let it uh, cook off because uh, there's no way you're cleaning all that off. So I mean, you're if you snap a fiberglass handle, you're uh pretty sol
2: yeah (laughs) that's
3: always been my uh
2: my feeling on it too so i feel like stick to the wood stuff you could always put a new handle on or if you don't like the length of the handle you know there's a million alternatives that you could buy that you could easily put on there with very little effort
3: yep yeah 100 percent. i suggest wooden um you can definitely use any hammer you have and uh Like we were talking about anvils, you you can use any just heavy piece of steel. A lot of guys use railroad track. So I don't want people to think that they have to go on eBay or Facebook and buy a bunch of like $500 shit just to get started. I mean, you could get started very cheap with just what you have.
2: And so say one more time what type of hammer that somebody would want to start out with is called.
3: Um, you, you could go to a rounding hammer or a ball peen or a cross peen, uh, really anything.
2: Okay. So ball peen can work too.
3: Yeah. I've used a ball peen. Um, I like using a cross peen, uh, where it kind of tapers down at the uh, one end. Um, and then the rounding hammer, I mean, in anything, as long as it's heavy and it's hard, it'll move (laughs) still. This is true
2: yeah not not doesn't have to be too specific to to bang on something
3: yeah and then uh the next thing you're gonna definitely need is uh, a pair of tongs and i jumped on ebay when i was getting into it and i picked up an old quote-unquote vintage pair of tongs and i mean they work and uh you're gonna want something long like you can use pliers, and I have used pliers. Like those keychains I made, um, yeah. I pulled that out of my forge with the tongs because they're long. And then while it was on the edge of my forge, I just grabbed it with a pair of channel locks because it seemed to be easier to work. And it's not a huge piece of steel, so you're not. It's not very hot compared to heating up a piece of one inch or whatever. So um, you're definitely going to want a pair of tongs. Um, You could search on eBay. There's guys that make uh, size-specific V-bit tongs or whatever. Um, I got some for 5A square stock. I use it on half-inch, too. I use it on one-inch. It's pretty versatile. Um, Another option is the quick tongs I was telling you about. You could get, they're like CNC cut. And you forge them out and you put a uh, rivet in it yourself. Those are another good, uh, good experience to have. You learn a lot of skills building your own tools. So uh, you can find those kits for like, I think, 60 or 70 bucks for five pairs of tongs. So those, those are pretty cool too.
2: Yeah, that would be. And it gives you a fun, like you said, a, a project to work on, something to do and practice your skill set with.
3: Yeah, you uh, you learn a lot of skills that you'll need uh, building tongs, and uh, there's something cool about using the tool that you built to build more things. You know what
2: I mean? Oh, absolutely! I feel like that's a lot of uh, blacksmithing that I've seen on YouTube. At least is guys building a lot more tools than other trades.
3: Yeah, yeah, and. It is pretty, uh, pretty basic technology. I mean, there's nothing too complicated about it. So, like the tongs, as long as it can clamp onto something and hold it while you hit it, will work. The uh, like all the hardy tools that go in your anvil. I mean, a chisel with a washer welded to it. I mean, that'll work. It's pretty basic engineering for blacksmithing. So, I mean, you could get pretty basic with it and make a tool that you use for the rest of your life
2: yeah it is super cool man i see guys making hammers making tongs making all kinds of specialty stuff like you said the stuff for the hardy hole all of that good stuff too it just seems like uh more i don't know trying to find the right word for it like uh Easier for the average person to build a tool that is capable in a blacksmithing capacity versus like an everyday person trying to make something that's going to work on a CNC lathe.
3: Yeah, I I know what you mean. And uh, another thing, it kind of not tool related, but you said uh, forging camping gear interests you. And that's another really cool aspect of it.
2: Yeah, it, it, you get you can make these things. I I just see a lot of people. I watch a lot of outdoor related videos, and a lot of these guys. That's that's a big part of what got me interested in forging in general. They're making these like camp cookware sets, and um, just all these these niche items like uh, auger bits that are attached to these like drive handles that would let you do kind of make these like fire stove logs when you're out camping like random niche stuff that you can't really buy it anywhere um but if i had a forge i could make it you know and that's exactly what these guys are doing and they're not necessarily selling them they're just saying like hey yeah i made this and then i take it camping with me and i'm like well fuck i gotta learn how to make one of those myself and so that's the driver to get into this stuff
3: yeah and i mean that's honestly uh honestly really awesome i i haven't done any camping gear yet but i'd love to um it's definitely cool that you could build something and take it and it'd be useful every day and i think uh that's like one of the coolest parts about blacksmithing like uh all the knife makers they can build a knife that they carry on them for the rest of their life and sharpen it every now and again and have something solid you know
2: yeah, that, I think, is super cool. Also, the we got the wood stove here in the room. I'd love to... We have, like, a... Whatever you call the fire tools set that just happened to be here. The guy who sold us the house left it here. But I would love to make a nicer set once I had the ability to do so.
3: And yeah, then, yeah. A lot, a lot of guys build uh, beautiful, like, fire poker sets. I just saw one... Uh... On Instagram, I wish I remembered his name. I think his name's Steve. He's from down south. He's a blacksmith. Um, I'll share his stuff or something. Uh, he just did a fire poker set with a broom and a shovel and a poker. And I mean, this stuff was like beautiful. He does beautiful work. You can make really cool stuff that like you could set on your uh, fireplace and be really proud of. You know. Yeah,
2: all that kind. Of, and it's like you said, I can't remember if we were on or off air when you mentioned it, but how many people are picking up this art? You know, in 20 years, how many people will be blacksmiths as a percentage of the population of the country? You know, it just seems like yeah. if people don't pick up this mantle and not everybody. You know, this episode is obviously for people who are looking to dip a toe in it. Not everybody who's interested in it will. Take it to the level that you took it to. Um, but they got to get the bug somehow. And I feel like you do a great job of showing people that, you know, with what? Less than three years of experience, the kind of stuff that you're already pumping out.
3: Yeah. Um I twisted my first steel october 2019 and i only remember that because i sent it to walk tight like look dude check this shit out <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it, i was stoked about it um and then i started forging probably uh probably in december so i mean i haven't been doing it all that long and i don't do it full time i work a couple hours a night i work in the morning that's about it so i mean it could be a really cool hobby that uh, I use it to blow up steam. I'll go pound on steel and uh, I'll be like a completely new man when I'm done, relaxed and whatnot. Get your back right back on the street.
2: It seems like the kind of thing that, like you said, would be re- fun to actually do while you're out there. It's also hard work, which is probably good for most people, especially people, anybody Anybody's working like a a desk job to come home and do something physical I feel like is good for your body and your brain. And then yeah. make some cool stuff that you really can't buy from hardly any Yeah,
3: exactly. And um I definitely agree. I think it's uh I think it's cool as hell that people want to get into it. And like when I hear about kids that want to try it, like I'm all about that. Like that is cool as hell. And uh I I wish uh, you guys lived a little closer to Pittsburgh because, like, anybody that wants to come over and try it, like, just hit me up and, like, you can definitely come over and, like, I got scrap steel, I got hammers, and anything you need, I'm more than welcome to come over and use my stuff and pine on some steel.
2: That's really cool you to off that, man.
3: Yeah, of course. I actually... Our house just got uh, rewired, and some guy saw my sticker. One of the electricians, he's like, Oh, I, I got some blacksmith tools from my grandpa, and uh, I have no idea what any of them are. So we got to talk, and I was like, Look, man, if you want to throw those in a milk crate and come over, like we, we'll, we'll use them all, and like I'll show you what they do. And uh, we, we can do whatever you want to do. And he he was all stoked about it. So definitely anybody that is local to Pittsburgh hit me up.
2: Oh, that's awesome, man. So, but um did we next
3: I <laughs> guess we uh, Yeah, go ahead. Sorry about that. Um, next I guess we uh covered hammers, tongs, um the forge, I guess an anvil would be next. Um you don't like i said you don't really need an anvil i mean it helps and rebound and rigidity um it helps but like i i'm sending you i just sent it out today the four and a half by 10 by one it's just a hunk of uh i'm pretty sure it's just ten eighteen. so i mean it's soft steel um but it'll work um you you can use pretty much anything i think the first time I ever forged something, it was a jockey ship from my sportster. And I didn't have a water at the time, but I was borrowing my buddy's torch to bend it. And I was like, I could heat up the bottom of this and beat on it a little bit to flare it out. So I had some meat to drill. And uh, I think I banged on the round stock on the bottom of my shop uh, press. So, I mean, you can really... <laughs> Anything heavy, it, it was kind of messed up because it was painted or powder coated, so like the glowing red steel was smoking me out and probably breathing fumes that you shouldn't be breathing. But it worked,
2: yeah, it got done.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to do what you got to do.
2: That's it, yeah. I know I have on my vice, I have like a small little bench on the back of it that I feel like is meant probably not for something this aggressive, but I'm sure it could, it could hold up to it.
3: Yeah. Um, you definitely can bang on those. Uh, I've blown apart a couple voices doing it. So it's, uh, you gotta be mindful of how much you're abusing that voice, but it that'll work too. I mean, it all works.
2: I feel like I'll make a little stand for the, um, for that piece that you sent and then try to use that or maybe even make a, just actually, how, how important is it to be able to get to all sides of it? Like, is it something that you would ever mount to a, a workbench or do you feel like you need to be able to walk around all
3: four sides? Um, I would, that's a good question, honestly. I would probably say I wouldn't mount it to a workbench Um, if you do do an anvil or you just use a hunk of steel, an easy, good way to get something, uh, pretty hard, pretty rigid. And I mean, almost free, you could walk through the woods, you could find just a decently sized piece of oak. And, uh, I think, I think with my anvil piece of oak I needed was like 26 inches. So, I mean, it's not that big of a piece of wood but you can mount it to the top of a log with a lag bolt if you're using a hunk of steel and uh you'll be able to walk all the way around it i got my anvil on a piece of oak and uh i just got hold downs and it it's kind of nice being able to move it out of the shop floor if you're limited on space and even if you aren't it's nice to just be able to move you know
2: yeah, I was thinking about that actually because it's such a shame too. I just had a I had a tree fall across the driveway this winter that I wish I didn't cut up into smaller slices because then I would now I would have to stack the slices and like screw them together. Um whereas it would have been nice if it was just one piece and I had saved it, but I didn't know that uh <laughs> I'd be making this, so I got to wait for the next tree. <laughs> yeah, no, you got
3: to go Got another one down or wait for one to fall. That's it. <laughs> Just drop a second one. And
2: actually, you kind of touched on something that we mentioned when we were talking, you and I, earlier this week. If somebody's trying to measure for how long of a stand they need, what is the, the benchmark that they would use to measure where they'd want it to sit height-wise?
3: So I... I didn't follow this when I first started, and I wish I would have because it beats you up if you don't. Uh, You want, with your arms relaxed at your side, you want the face of your anvil or your striking surface to be in between your knuckles and your wrist. So with your hands down at your side, just relaxed, that's about where you want it. And that's because when you hold a hammer and you're swinging it, when your arm is at a 90 the hammer striking that surface uh just about parallel so that'll uh you won't have to like compensate to make it hit flat and uh it definitely after i put my anvil at the right height i noticed a big difference in uh endurance i i noticed i could work a lot longer without my hand cramping up or my arm cramping up. So that's definitely uh, something to keep in mind, no matter what you're hitting on.
2: Oh, that's a great point. And that's something that I actually did not think about before you and I talked. And I always saw, you know, videos of people working on them and I'm like, it just looks low. I don't know why visually it just looks like it's too low, but maybe that's just because you're used to wanting things at where you can see them easier as opposed to thinking about the angle of where your arm's coming down.
3: Yeah. and I i definitely uh, catch myself um, bending over so I can get closer to it. Um, you, you learn your lesson real quick when you smack it in a piece of uh, mill scale that is a thousand degrees, lands on your face, your arms, like all my <laughs> tattoos on my arms are messed up and yeah, you learn real quick to stay away from it. But um That's yeah, a good point.
2: I didn't even think about the uh how much hot stuff comes flaking off as you're striking it.
3: Oh yeah, and then the mill scale that comes flying off, it won't be glowing, but yeah, it's fucking hot. So <laughs> you, you ever, ever had any real fires?
2: what's that? Have you ever had any fires?
3: Oh yeah, my uh my shed had a plywood floor. So anytime I dropped something that was glowing, yeah, I had a small fire. So, oh, fuck. yeah, I've had a, I've had a couple. I, I, think, uh, I think we said it on the last episode. Fat Man came to my house way back when, when I was first getting into Twist, and me and my buddy were twisting some one inch. And I think right after he showed up, I dropped a piece of glowing one inch on the floor. He's like, yeah, you're four on five. It was pretty funny.
2: <laughs> yeah, dude, that would be. I feel like I'd be sweating it all the time.
3: Yeah, it's uh, definitely not OSHA friendly, so I I'd probably would to advise it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure, dude. So, but um, if I uh, you do want to get into an anvil. And like, say you start out with a piece of steel, and you're like, "Man, I really like this. I want to get into an anvil." Um, you could spend upwards of a thousand dollars on like an old Peter Wright or an uh, big heavy two hundred pound anvil you find online. Um, they're great. Or you could get on uh, the internet, um, eBay i forget the brand it's a chinese brand but it would be a good start um i think they're 80 pounders for like a hundred dollars or 50 pounders they're light but it would be a good start and they're cheap or you could go up to i think they sell 120 pounder um it won't be the hardest thing it won't be the best the horn won't be great but it'll work or uh You you could get into the five hundred dollar mark. You could get a really good hundred pound. uh, I think North Carolina anvils. You could get a Calvary Calvary anvil. I think it was one hundred eighteen pounds or something for like five ninety shipped or something. So I mean, that's a brand new anvil. It's a hundred pounds, American made, and uh, you could. They're pretty easy to come by. What was the name again? I believe it's North Carolina Anvils.
2: I think I did see them because uh, I was looking at a couple this week.
3: Yeah, and I, I got a straight to the point anvil. Or my wife got it for me off. Uh, I believe straight to the point is a knife company in Texas. And I believe that was around $500 ship. Gotcha. For a hundred pounder. Yeah, hundred pound, but it's got the Hardy hole and the Spitch hole and uh, the horns. The horns pretty nice, so I definitely, uh, definitely is really nice anvil. You get a lot work done, a lot of work done on it.
2: That's awesome. So when you get an anvil, do you have to do things like cast iron skillets where you got to fucking season them and prep them and get them ready?
3: Uh, I'm, I'm sorry there's a right way to do it and uh, I guess I'm a uh, fraud in a sense because I, I honestly don't know. I oil mine um, I, I use uh, scotch bright on the face like I use 100% organic beeswax to seal some stuff or uh, oil and then it'll kind of drip onto the anvil face and get sticky so if they start getting sticky stuff from Mark's on the face of your anvil, I just use Scotch Bright and then hit it with a uh, 100% canola oil. That's just what I've done. It works.
2: Gotcha. So do you you hit it with canola oil every time you're you finish up for the day?
3: Uh, no, not necessarily every time. Uh, if I notice it's starting to look dry or like the sides are looking dry, I'll hit it. Um, it's not very crucial. I mean, some people might say it's crucial. Uh, it probably is crucial, but I, I've never done it, and I haven't had any problems with, like, rust or flash rusting or anything like that.
2: Gotcha. Yeah, I wasn't sure how quickly that, that tended to happen with these kind of things.
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess, in a sense, it is bare metal, and uh, I guess it could flash pretty quick, flash rust, but that... uh shed i was in and the roof leaked like a sieve and i've I've walked in and there's been puddles on my anvil and nothing uh nothing catastrophic ever happened to it
2: gotcha okay so maybe yeah it seems like maybe not necessary to do it every single time then
3: yeah no i i wouldn't say i'd just be mindful of it pay attention keep it in the back of your head you know
2: yeah scotch brite it every once in a while because i'm sure you don't want to get you know all kinds of the mill scale into whatever new clean piece you're working on
3: yeah i definitely learned that lesson the hard way um I when I first started and first uh started doing tapers and even those hammers um the it, it's easy to get caught up in what you're doing and like you're so stoked and focused on the piece you're working on it's easy to forget to wipe off the face of your anvil with all the mill scale so then you're pounding on steel and you're forging the mill scale into the steel you're working with and it, it'll just dent it and leave a nasty finish. So that that's definitely one thing you always want to keep in mind is make sure you have a clean surface and uh, you could brush off the steel as soon as it comes out the forge before you beat on it to uh, knock off some mill scale before you start working it. Uh, I started doing that. Um, that's definitely something to keep in mind because it, It'll give it a really crappy-looking finish.
2: Yeah, if if you're not cleaning it periodically. Yeah, yeah. And you have to clean the piece as well, too, right? What's that? Do you have to clean the piece every time it comes in and out of the forge?
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I clean it um, before I uh, hammer on it and work it to wherever i want it and then if it scales up again from beating on it a lot of times it'll scale up like a couple inches behind where you're striking it or uh, a different piece of the metal i'll brush it back off before i put it back in the fire
2: gotcha okay and that's just with you with a regular steel brush
3: yeah i've i've used um just a normal stainless steel uh, wire brush that you can get at your welding shops. Um, I did get a scratch brush off of, uh, I'll plug him, Alex steel on Instagram. Um, yep. I believe he was on fortune fire, but he sells scratch brushes that are, I mean, they're beasts. And I think they're like 20 bucks shipped or plus shipping. And, i uh, I definitely suggest those. They, uh, they'll clean up anything i mean they're they're rough but they're really high quality part so um yeah any any brush will work um you could get into brass brushing to give it a brass finish uh that's just your normal brass brush and you brush it like when it's in black heat just like 350 to 400 degrees and it'll soak in the metal will soak in some brass and give it a really cool finish so that's another thing i never heard of that yeah, a couple, uh, a couple of hammers, a couple of tomahawks I did a while ago. I brass brushed and it, it gives it a really cool, cool finish. I don't know why I quit doing it. I'll have to do it next time I forge.
2: Yeah, I'm going to have to look that up and see what that looks like. I'm not sure if I would know how that ends up looking.
3: Yeah, it turns out uh, really cool. And like on the twists, when you brush it, um, the brush isn't getting in between the twists. You know, when it's all twisted up tight, like a drill bit almost. You're not, you're not getting on to the flat part of the steel because it's in between the points. So the points will turn brass, and the flats will stay black. So probably a couple months ago. I I brush brushed a a hammer handle and it turned out awesome.
2: Oh, that's super cool, dude. Damn, so... Oh, yeah. And, uh... Go ahead. ahead. You know, I was just going to say, so uh, a stainless steel brush is probably the basic option. And then if somebody wanted to do a brass brush on top of that, that's kind of more like to do fancier stuff in the future.
3: Yeah, the, the brass brush would be more for like a finish. Uh, you'll definitely want a stainless brush to keep it clean while you work it. And then after it's uh, looking all how you want it to, then that's when you would want a brass brush. I guess I shouldn't have thrown it in when I did, but yeah, brass brush is more for the finish.
2: Gotcha. Yeah, that's super cool, though. There's just more stuff that you can use to spice it up once you're trying to make particular things or like make something stand out
3: yeah no a, a lot of uh, blacksmiths they have their own concoction of an oil or a paste to put on hot metal to blacken it and, and uh, i've heard of beeswax mis- mixed with uh, linseed oil or linseed oil um, i've heard a lot of different concoctions but that's I've used beeswax; it blackens it nice, and it seals it. I've used canola oil that does the same thing. It's all pretty much uh, just finding what works for you.
2: Nice, man. Yeah, it's. I'm excited to play around with some of this stuff, and I'm sure I'm going to end up having a million questions for you as I go through it. And I'm like, how do I get it to do this or look like that? It seems like the kind of thing where you just only learn through doing a bunch of shit.
3: Yep, and I mean, I got I got a stack of steel. I don't know why I refuse to scrap it, but I got a stack of steel that I I just spent way too much time on something and didn't like where it was going or kind of learned by messing up. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that, really. Learn the hard way.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Got to put those out but, uh,
3: yeah, if anybody has any questions while they're working apart, I mean, I'll give you my cell phone number if you want to call or FaceTime. Hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. I'll answer anything I can.
2: That's super cool you, dude. I appreciate you being willing to be reachable to everybody like that because I'm sure that we're going to get – we had a bunch of people when they heard you were coming on this week write in about it. So I'm sure you'll be getting some questions from uh, anybody who, who has something that we didn't cover yeah that uh wants to find out a little more yeah of course man so once somebody say somebody picks up a forge a set of tongs a hammer and you know maybe a, rail, a piece of railroad track or some other, or maybe they find an anvil right away cuz they're lucky as fuck but those things are hard to come by <laughs> it really is such a crazy thing to track down unless you want to spend like 800 bucks for like a craigslist one
3: yeah i'm I messed up. I found a, uh, it was a late 1800s Peter Wright anvil. And I mean, the face on it was immaculate. The horn was perfect. It was welded to a steel stand, which is a huge no-no because then it's like permanent and you're technically ruining the anvil when you weld on it. Um, But I picked it up for like 250 bucks. I paid like a dollar a pound. Wow, I, dude. I sold that thing. I should have never sold that.
2: Damn! Did you at least let them know that, that you that you weren't the one that welded on it?
3: I did. I I made sure. <laughs> I made sure I let everybody know it wasn't me.
2: <laughs> you got to send them timestamp pictures and be like, "Look, dude, I this was their
0: original, <laughs> ad, okay?"
3: <laughs> yep. <laughs> I I it's it's hilarious because I definitely told everybody, like, look. I did not weld it. Don't get mad at me. for it. It's like, <laughs> exactly. like, people that collect the anvils are like, what come out this thing. Why'd you do that? I'm like, whoa, buddy. What?
2: Hey, speaking of that, <laughs> what is the deal with the chain? Just like loosely draped around the bottom of the anvil.
3: Um, I'm pretty sure. Like, I'm I don't, gonna sound like a total dumbass if I'm not right. Um, I'm pretty sure that is to quiet the ring. Oh, uh, like, okay. I've I've heard angels that have a really high high pitched ring, and I'm pretty sure the chain will reduce that. I'm gonna sound like I, I own a blacksmithing company, and I, I I'm not positive about that, so I'm gonna sound like a complete dumbass if that's not what it's for.
2: It I I could very true. well be. That would make a lot of sense. And listen, I've done a lot of welding in my day, but I'm sure there's questions that people could ask me where I would be the same situation where I'm like, I've actually never fucking had somebody ask me that. So <laughs> <it> doesn't <laughs> yeah. happen every day. But I always saw that. And at first I thought people were tying it down and like tensioning the chain and then like nailing it to the stump. But then I, I kept seeing these videos lately and it's just fucking hanging out there. Like the way people throw like the rope of the horse just kind of like loosely around the pole in a Western movie. And I'm like, what? That's not even time. What the (laughs) fuck are you doing? And I couldn't make sense of it. But maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just to dampen the sound.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure because I have heard some anvils that have a really, really high pitched ring. And my anvil rings a good bit, but it's not completely annoying. Um, If it had a, I mean, screeching, like, ear-piercing ring, yeah, it'd probably be... You can do a couple other things. You can router into your log and put a silicone caulking down.
2: I did see that. And then set the anvil
3: on that, and that'll quiet it down.
2: Yeah, it seems like there's a... With the cheaper anvils, there's definitely people trying to find ways to quiet them down. Cause I watched the review of some Amazon anvil. That's like an 88 pounder and it's got horns on both sides, which is weird, but it, uh, he was like dropping a marble on it and it was pinging like really fucking loud. <laughs> I was like, wow, that yeah. definitely not be fun for your neighbors.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, when I was in Springdale, my neighbor, I mean, her house was, like, right next to mine. I could clean her gutters from my bathroom window. And, (laughs) I mean, I would bang on my anvil at 12 o'clock in the morning. And, like, next day I'd see her and, like, hey, I hope I didn't bother you if I ever do come out and just tell me, like, shut the fuck up and go inside. and like, please don't call the cops on me.
2: She's like, no, and, uh, I'll just call the cops. That's fine.
3: <laughs> no, she, she was a great neighbor. She was like, I, I have never once heard you. And she had to be lying because there's no way she didn't hear me. I I would wake my kids up inside my house. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: well,
2: that's the kind of neighbor you want to have when you're a blacksmith, right?
3: Hey, right.
2: <laughs> that is, that's a dream come true right there.
3: Yeah, so, but, uh, let's say next something. we could yeah. touch on uh, yeah, projects
2: yes perfect
3: um yeah there's a there's a lot of beginner blacksmith projects uh you can find on like etsy or forums um tapers are great to get good at um they're a lot of fun it's kind of boring just forging tapers over and over and over again and i always struggle i think you and me were talking about it with practicing tig welding it's uh it's hard for me to just practice on scraps like i would rather try to make something and practice that way than just forge a taper over and over and over and over over again yeah oh like you guys uh like you guys said on last week's episode, the ten thousand lines or whatever, I <laughs> I don't think I could do it, <laughs> dude. That is
2: all of us as impatient people, man.
3: Yeah, I I tried pinstriping for a while, and yeah, I I don't think I've laid any straight lines. I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna go for it.
2: Yep, and then you're like straight to designs. <laughs> yep, yeah. I um, think that. Uh, I'll end up doing the same thing. So basically when you say it, forging a taper, is that, uh, what you're talking about at the bottom of the hammers that you make where it flattens out?
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's that, um, is what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, uh, you could forge a taper on coat hooks. Uh, you could scroll it. Um, you could forge a taper on, if you look back a couple posts ago, I made, a coffee tables out of live edge wood and I forged the legs on that. Um they kind of look like an S. And I forged tapers on both ends and then hooked it around. And uh that was a really fun project. Um on the keychains I make I forged tapers on the end of. And uh I don't know if I've ever seen a video where somebody does it. And I think I did it the first time by mistake. But if you uh, get good at forging tapers and you want to kind of give yours a different look, I started forging my tapers. This is going to be hard to explain. Uh, If you lay the square on your anvil, you got a flat face at the top. That's how I've always started forging tapers. Mm -hmm. I started doing it to where I would be hitting on a point and the other point would be on the face of the anvil. So when it forges out, uh, it forges out with a round top, and then the ends are naturally pointed because that's how the material is. Like all of those hammers I just made, that's how I forged the taper on the end. And that's how I forged the taper on some keychains. And I think that is a uh, really cool little trick to do. And uh, I didn't do any stock removal on those hammers on the bottom of the taper. That is one hundred percent how it forged out, and that is it.
2: Gotcha. So is that kind of like sacrilegious in the in the blacksmith community to like then take a grinder to something and, and like add, you know, what you call it stock removal?
3: Yeah, I'm. I don't know, honestly. I'm sure. i I've seen uh, videos. I was watching videos today on YouTube on how to forge a rose, and a lot of guys like hot cut it and punch holes. And I'm thinking to myself, like, or that like that took three heats. I could just pull it out, throw it in my bandsaw. Two minutes, I'll have all those cuts, and then (laughs) throw it in my drill press, (laughs) (laughs) drill a couple holes, and it'll be done. So I I don't know if I'm. A traditional blacksmith in that sense. You like a, I a, would rather, a bad blacksmith, right now? <laughs> <laughs> I would rather use the resources I have, and I mean, doing it the right way is cool. And I have done stuff the quote-unquote right way. But I mean, if you got a bandsaw, why not use it?
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I remember watching the episode of Forge and Fire where they had to. Uh... I told myself, by the way, before we started this show, that I wasn't going to talk about Forge and Fire the whole time because I'm sure that's played out as fuck, but it's, it's my main base <laughs> And there was one episode where instead of drilling a hole for the handle, they had to punch it through on the anvil. And it, like, threw everybody for a loop because everybody was just, like, used to using a drill press to drill the hole. And yeah. one guy, like, couldn't even do it. And I was like, huh. I wonder if that's the kind of thing where you just, most people just don't bother to do that the blacksmith way because we have different tools for that now. But I guess the show was definitely making it sound like if you don't forge it with the anvil, then it's not a real hole. And I'm like, well, that doesn't
3: sense. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I could see it, but I don't know. I, I use my mill. I got no shame in it. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. I got drills that work really well. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Or you could swing a hammer for 10, 15. Because I, on the tomahawks I make out of the railroad spikes, I hot punch and drift the hole where the handle goes. And that takes like three or four heats. Like, I, I don't know if I just suck at it or if I'm impatient, but there is, I haven't found a good way to do it and it drives me crazy to do but some yeah. people you'll yeah. watch videos on youtube and they're like three hits and they punched a big old hole so i mean some people just have it i guess i don't
2: maybe they got really sharp
3: pokers. hey who knows yeah but um yeah like i was saying all the projects um keychains like the material i sent you for keychains how i do those is i take four inches a quarter inch square stock which you can get really cheap i'm pretty sure you could even get it at lowe's yeah I think so it's can. easy to come by it's just a cheap material i take it into four foot or four inch sections and i when i forge stuff i like working constantly i don't like standing there waiting for the metal to get hot so i'll take like a handful of them like 10 at a time and just throw them in my forge and just work them all and uh i just forge a taper on both ends and after your taper's forged I heat it back up stick it in a vise uh standing up like vertically yeah then you could take a uh, crescent wrench or a monkey wrench or anything and just put it on the top and give it a little twist and uh that's pretty much it they're pretty uh pretty simple to make you could do it in three heats uh one for each taper one heat for each taper and one heat for the twist and then yeah I definitely cheat and drill the hole for the keychain <laughs> <But> <laughs> it is I thought it that is. hole
2: felt a little different <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah and I try to uh try to heat it back up after I drilled the hole so, like, the hole isn't all shiny and shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It is what it is, man. You rub a little sun on it, tap it with the hammer a little bit.
2: Yeah, throw it on the ground, kick it around. That's it. It's like this never happened. I love it. But that is a cool little thing. You know, the other thing I was looking to make, and and I'll probably hit you up once the forge comes in, but... um, Hard because you can heat treat things in the forge to make some strikers for flint and steel. That's another one of those things that uh, I was looking at that would be a lot easier to make with a forge and make it like a cooler version instead of just like, you know, breaking off a piece of a file and using that because that's the only hardened steel that you've got.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless and I, I work with a knife maker. Um, He he's got like one of the crazy uh, infrared crazy forge for heat treating. I I totally butchered what that's called, but you know what I mean. Yep. And uh, he does all like the crazy heat cycles. And he makes his steel like so hard. He uses ten ninety-five and I think S seven and all kind of different exotic steels, I guess you could say. And uh that's a whole different animal too. And I got I got mad respects for uh, all the knife makers and uh you had him on KO Defendant. He does some amazing work and the the knife making is definitely tricky. I I haven't perfected the grinding of a knife i can't sharpen it for shit but they're they're a lot of fun to forge i have forged a couple yeah that definitely
2: it does seem like those are a, a tricky beast and getting the heat treat right and there's just so much that goes into it
3: yeah and like i mean if you're a couple hundred degrees off it's not gonna harden the same and uneven harden and- I I got mad respect for those guys cuz that is a that is an art in itself. Yeah, it
2: definitely. That's something that maybe in the future I'll get into, but for the time being I got to get started with the easy stuff, make me some keychains, <laughs> some basic things and in in learning how the uh learning how the hammer moves the metal, you know. That was a big or that's been a big thing for me is trying to understand how, how you're drawing it out versus taping it one way or the other. It just seems like there's so much that goes into it.
3: Yeah, I guess that's a uh, another thing we could touch on. Um, and I definitely may do everything the unconventional way, but it works for me. How I um, like to strike is half on, half off. So I'll hold the material on the edge of the anvil. And half the hammer will be on the anvil and half the, well, on the piece I'm striking. And the other half the hammer will be over the edge of the anvil. And that also helps so you don't accidentally bump your anvil. Like if you're forging a taper, the hammer is going to be tapered and the piece of metal is going to be tapered. So it's easy just to miss and ding your top of your anvil with the edge of the hammer and uh, mark it up. So I do the half on, half off. And if you're drawing out steel, uh, I watched a video. I believe uh, Black Bear Forge on YouTube. He's uh he's an older guy. He he does amazing work. He he's a very skilled blacksmith. If uh, anybody needs to watch a how-to video, definitely look him up on YouTube. But he, I believe he did a video on an aggressive way to draw out steel. Yeah, you hang it over the edge of your anvil and you bang it against the edge of your anvil so like you're destroying the metal but it draws it out really quick and then you pull it back across the anvil and then you flatten all the notches out and uh I have done that when I had to draw a couple couple things out so that is another way uh YouTube's I mean great you can learn how to do anything on YouTube um a lot of guys do it differently. I normally, I'm trying to learn, or when I was learning how to blacksmith, I would watch everyone, every video I could, and kind of come up with how I was going to do it. Because just because it works for me or works for that guy, doesn't mean it's going to work for you. So don't get uh, frustrated if how the guy in the video did it isn't working for you. Just swing the hammer and just figure out what works for you on how to move the material the way you want to move it.
2: I think that's great advice, man. That that's definitely been my experience with the welding side of things too. There's a lot of uh a lot of advice gets thrown around that over the years I felt like that it has not been my experience at all. And it wasn't until I was like, you know what, I guess I just gotta try doing this how it feels comfortable for me that things started working out. So sometimes the conventional wisdom isn't always what clicks in in everybody's brain.
3: Yeah. I I definitely don't write any of it off. Like I'll throw it in the back of my mind. Like, Oh, that guy did that that way. So if I ever run across a project where I'm doing something kind of different than I normally do and it's just not working, I, I always have that information or how that guy did that in the back of my head. So maybe it'll work for that part of that time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of don't throw information away, but compile it and figure out what's going to work, work best for you.
2: Yeah. That's a great point, man. I think it. uh, I think that that that's well taken to just store it and maybe it'll, maybe it'll work for something else.
3: Yep. And I mean, the best advice I could give somebody that wants to get into it is just go do it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with messing up steel and throwing it in the scrap bin. I mean, just go try it. See what works. Swing the hammer. I mean, you aren't going to do anything catastrophic that's going to ruin everything you've done. I mean, worst case scenario, you scrap a $5 piece of steel and move on. Learn a lesson and not do that again. That's all.
2: Yeah. No, that's a great point, man. It's very true. So, if people have more questions than the kind of entry stuff that we talked about tonight, what is the best way for somebody to get in touch with you?
3: Um, I'm pretty good with uh, my Instagram messaging. Um, I kind of struggle uh, juggling Facebook. But if you message me on Facebook Messenger, I'll get back to you. Um, and, I mean, if, if my responses are spotty on Instagram, I'll even give you my cell phone number. I, I don't think I'm going to put it across the airwaves. But yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I, uh, I got no problem with helping anybody I can. I mean, I'll dedicate as much time as I can give to helping somebody out.
2: Well, you've helped me out a ton, man, and I think a lot of people are going to be stoked just to have this much information but i'm sure that there'll be people reaching out so we we appreciate you being willing to talk to anybody from the show that is trying to figure this out
3: oh yeah man my my pleasure honestly i i love hearing about people that want to give it a try and i i hope they uh fall in love with it like i did
2: absolutely man well i know my kids are super excited for our forge to get here they can't wait to start making some stuff i'm gonna to have to get them some uh protective equipment now that i hear about all these burns <laughs> probably gonna to want to gear them up a little better than we all are now but uh yeah i'm i'll be one of those people hitting you up with more questions in the future but thank you man for taking the time to just go through a little introduction of what people need to get started
3: yeah, my pleasure, man. Anytime. Um it was definitely uh definitely fun kind of thinking about what I don't think about. You know, I just go out and do it. And uh it's definitely been uh great talking about it.
2: Yeah, well I think I feel like in the future, once I get it and play around with it a little bit, maybe we can revisit this and have you back on once I've got some more struggles in fresh in mind of things that I'm finding as i begin that i feel like i'll have uh more intermediate questions for you in the in the near future here
3: yeah of course um oh and that's another thing uh if you look up abana um the artisan blacksmiths of north america i totally butchered that i apologize but if you google it um there is a big uh I think they're located in Johnstown training facility for blacksmiths, uh, for entry level stuff. They have a forum, they have a membership. I think it's like a hundred dollars a year, but you get a lot of information and, uh, that that's a great resource to have too.
2: Nice man. Yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. Actually. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Cool. Awesome dude. Well, Hey, I think that, uh, that's a good spot for us to wrap up and again thanks for taking the time tonight and I'm looking forward to doing another segment on this uh in the future we'll come back to it
3: yeah sounds great man um I, after your kids start banging out some crazy cool knives uh I'll definitely be interested in buying one so oh, that's, that's all I look cool. forward
2: to they'll be even more excited to know they got their uh, first person that wants a knife.
3: Oh, yeah, man, of course.
2: Awesome, brother. Well, thank you again, and uh, we'll be talking, you and I will be talking very soon.
3: All right, man, sounds good. All right, brother, have
2: a good night. All right, thanks, you too, man. All right, motherfuckers, we are back. Big shout-outs again to Steel City Blacksmith and for joining us for that section to tell you guys everything you need to know about getting started with blacksmithing. So, Before we get too much further along here, let's take a quick second to thank some of the people that make this show possible. First up, we got B3, a.k.a. Babes Bikes and Beards, out of the Chelsea, Massachusetts area this spring. Expect some bike nights to be going on. Make sure you keep in touch with the girls at Babes Bikes Beards, all one word, on Instagram. And join the Slack team Join the calendar. Reach out to them with a DM so that they know that you heard about them on the Low Life Motherfucking Chopper Podcast. Next up, we got the man you just heard from, Steel City Blacksmithing, doing some of the dopest custom metal work you ever set your eyes on. Swing on over to Steel City Blacksmithing, all one word, on Instagram. Check out his site. And pick up a, a hammer or one of his other fucking products that you heard about tonight. Next up, we got Hypnic Jerk Customs. Locked out, why don't you do this one?
1: Oh, boy. the uh, Jerk Customs, the homie from Australia, making a little bit of everything. Um, as you heard in the beginning of the podcast, he makes the dopest fucking taillights. These things are so bright. They will literally blind the people behind you. I promise. Um, Uses top-notch LEDs and all those taillights. They're hand-pounded taillights. He also does uh, resin casting. He does jockey shifters, headlights. Pretty much anything you can fucking think under the sun. He can make it for you. So hit up Customs on motherfucking Instagram.
2: Perfect. Next up, we got Deadbeat Customs. Out of Tewksbury, Massachusetts, the homie Steve is the man behind the Deadbeat Retreat, the best motorcycle event in the motherfucking Northeast. If you have not checked out his new shop in Tuxbury, Massachusetts, you're fucking up. Need to swing on over there, try on a jacket, a pair of gloves, a helmet, all the shit that you're too afraid to buy online, Steve has it in store. Again that's Deadbeat Customs all one word on Instagram deadbeatcustoms.com if you're not here in the northeast and you want to shop online and use lowlife
1: at checkout.
2: Beautiful. Next up we got Faro Fabrication yours truly right here in Londonderry, New Hampshire for all of your welding needs. If you got something that needs to be repaired or you got something in mind that you want to have fabricated, hit me up. You can find me and all my past projects on com or ferrofabrication on Instagram. And then, last but not least,
1: we got the motherfucking Unicorn Ranch. The Unicorn Ranch, located in epic motherfucking New Hampshire. See, yeah, I fucking switched it up that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, hit, hit us,
0: us up. up. <laughs>
1: Hit us up for all your vinyl needs. We can do stickers, um, hoodies, t-shirts, hats, koozies, cups, whatever the fuck you need. Uh, We can do banners as well. Um, Hit us up and we will make it fucking happen. Uh, Also offering up some motherfucking pinstriping, as you know. Get over to Unicorn Ranch on Instagram to see what we are doing next. Love it.
2: All right, so. In light of tonight's episode, to close this one out, I will say you motherfuckers need to grab yourself a hammer and get to smashing till the cool stuff you dreamed of starts to happen.
1: Yeah, that was a good one.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm fucking stoked to get to smashing myself. So (laughs) hopefully we'll be posting a picture of some of the cool stuff sooner rather than later. Wow, it's a weird fucking noise my house is making in the background. Sorry, everybody. Can you hear my noise
1: in the background? My pellet stove running?
2: <laughs> oh, man. I didn't, and I don't know what just took place over there in the corner, <laughs> but hopefully that doesn't come through too loud on here. I can't hear your pellet stove though, so I think we're in good shape. Perfect. All right. So, Loctite, what do you got for these people? Take them into their motherfucking weekend.
1: It's Friday, motherfuckers. If you want more tits at Chopper shows, hit up Steel City Blacksmithing and get some of that twisted steel that makes the girls go wild.